Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary. Morning. How y'all doing? <laughs> all right. Well, it's uh, great to be with you here today, and, and so exciting. Just been following on this journey that you've been on, this REACH campaign uh, with VJ. And I remember uh, well over a decade ago in a church that I was a part of, many of you were a part of it too, that actually uh, helped launch this church here, uh, was a part of it. And it was a huge transformation in my uh, dependence on God and faith in God. And so it's so exciting for what God's going to be doing with you all through it, and uh, it's really, really cool to be a part of it. Uh, for those of you who haven't met yet, my name is Mark, and I pastor a church down the street. It's a long street, I guess, down the 400, uh, called Connection. We are in Rexdale, and uh, we are kind of in this, this thing we've been doing for the last few months now with Upper Room and Connection, uh, where we partner together in different ways, and one of those things is sometimes we do a series together. And so for the next eight weeks, VJ and I are going to be doing a series called Under the Influence. There it is. And uh, I'm really excited about it. We launched it last week at Connection. VJ's doing part two there now, and then I'll be doing part three next week, and he'll be here doing, you, you get it, you follow it. You figured it out by now. It's a very, very cool system. And, uh, and really, it's neat to journey together and, and go through all this uh, as two churches. As we start off, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. For those of you kind of getting to know me, uh, let you know a little bit about myself. A um, couple years ago, back many years ago, about 12 years ago, I started dating the woman that would one day be my wife. Some of you are wondering, why is it that whenever you tell us a story of one of your girlfriends, it's always the one you married? What about all the girls that you dated that you didn't marry? And really, there weren't many. In fact, this is the only serious relationship I ever had, and I figured if she's willing to go on a date with me, I should just marry her, and that's what I did. So uh, we got married, but when we started dating, we were actually in high school. We actually went to prom together. What's up? And uh, I... Aw, yeah. So, anyway, so we uh, went to prom together, and we didn't have a lot of money because, like I said, we were in high school. So, I mean, like, I'd bike over to her house, and I'd sit in the passenger seat while she drove her parents' car because I didn't even have a driver's license yet. Sad. We'd go to Best Buy, watch a movie. We'd go to, you know, we'd go to Costco, eat snacks. You know, that was our dinner. We didn't even have Costco memberships, and we'd just kind of, you know, find families that looked like us and follow them. We'd have to pick different families because if you met my wife, we don't look alike. So she'd find a South Asian family. I'd find a white family. It was great. So, you know, that was the kind of stuff that we did when we were dating. And we'd go to, like, furniture stores and just hang out on the couches and stuff just to get a little privacy. You know, we didn't want to always be hanging out with our parents all the time. Now we're older. We always hang out with our parents. It's strange how that works, isn't it? But anyways, we, you know, when you go through our scrapbook of the first year dating, you have photos of all these things. But as you go through the scrapbook, you have this receipt of mine. Which is, which is strange, my wife would tell you, because I never keep receipts. She's always like, hey, I want to return this. Where's the receipt? I'm like, I thought I gave it to you. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't keep receipts. But this one I kept because this one was, it, just, it was something about this receipt that I just needed to show for it. Because this receipt, I don't even need to look back. It was 12 years ago, but it was $23.91. 
and this was a date, which you're thinking $23.91 is a pretty good price for a date. But listen, I was a broke teenager, and that was devastating. You see, she had this great idea. She's like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we went to the superstore and brought all our favorite foods and threw them into a salad? No. But I said, of course, yeah, because she was willing to date me. So we went for it. And so we had sausage, mushrooms, popcorn, chocolate chip cookie. Like, it was all in there. We have a picture of it, shrimp. Like, it was all thrown into one salad. On their own, some of those things might have made a good salad. But all together, $23 worth of ingredients made a terrible salad, and we just ended up eating the sausage plucking it out little by little. And, uh, and, you know, she would talk about this all the time. For her, this was like such a cool experience. She'd be talking to me like, yeah, when we first started dating. She doesn't talk like that. When we first started dating, was, anyway, so when we first started dating, we like, we were so cheap. We made this salad. It was disgusting, but it was so much fun. And I'm in the background like, $23. I'm just like, there's something about me that's just cheap. Are there any other cheap people in the room? Okay, yeah, there's a guy in my church. He's like, he's like king of cheap. His wife used to tell me he used to shower and then stop the shower, lather up, and then turn it back on. I told that story last week. He starts cheering. I'm like, man. So some of us are cheap. I'm cheap, but I'm more than cheap, okay? There's, there's some people who are just like, the meal tastes better with a coupon. That's cheap, you know, on and on and on. But I'm like, there's something about money that just makes me uncomfortable. Like, I'm sitting there, and I'm just like waiting for the bill to come. I'm just like, ah, oh, we could have made this cheaper at home. Like, there's just, it's just at the core of my being, there's like money, and I just like these like grips that I just can't let go of. And so my wife and I, like when we were dating, we'd argue about it. When we were engaged, I mean, planning a wedding, I mean, and that's really God's way of saying, if you can survive this, you might have a chance at marriage, right? But it's just like, you're always arguing about money, and why are we paying for chairs, right? Like, we'll just have dancing. Like, you just, you're fighting about everything. And so, you know, and then we got married, and I'm like, we need to have a budget meeting. I was always calling budget meetings, and it was just like, like, my wife hated it, and I hated it, but it was just like, it was this thing that was just so tense. And I remember, she'd always say, like, stop being so tight on money, stop worrying about money all the time. And it was like this thing that I just couldn't stop, and I just couldn't get rid of. So a couple years later, uh, you know, I've been married for a few years, and a good, good friend of mine, very, very close, him and I went to this conference, and uh, we're there, and uh, one of the exercises, it was a cool conference where you actually pause and actually reflect on the things you're learning, and uh, one of the exercises that we were told to do was to draw a picture of your family tree. Easy enough. And, and then the guy said, you know, I want you to write down characteristics, you know, trauma that happened to different people, what, whatever happened, I just want you to put it all on there. And he just said, just take some time, sit with it, and see if you see any themes. I just kind of, you know, drew up my family, made some calls, you know, hey, you know, who was married to this person, what happened, and just find out the whole kind of family tree of all the people who were involved in raising the people who raised the people who raised me. Good exercise. And then I realized that there was something that happened in 1960 that I had never realized had been impacting my life ever since. In 1960, my grandfather, L.V. Talzi, went out to the farm in rural Quebec, and he never came home. But there was a tragic tractor accident, and my mom, five years old, seven siblings, and all of them lost a father that day. And my mom would tell us stories of what it was like growing up in a single-parent household where your mom can't work because she's watching seven kids, and they're on welfare, and welfare would show up, and they'd make sure that all the shoes were lined up because back then they would count the number of shoes at the door and make sure that the paperwork lined up. And she would explain how tight money was and how they would just hold on to it because it wasn't just something that you used to spend money on to get pleasure from, but it was something that literally was life. And she would talk about, you know, some years we were doing really well financially and we got oranges for Christmas. And there's just something about that. And as I reflected and as I engaged with her more, I just discovered her entire view of money had been shaped by that one event. 
And my entire way of viewing money had been shaped by that one event, even though I had never met him before. That there was just this way, there was these things going on before I was born and as I was born and as I was growing up, these things that were going on, these mentalities that were being passed on, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that were impacting me below the surface that I was living out and I had never even realized where it was coming from. My friend, and I have complete permission to share this story, he was doing the same exercise on his piece of paper. And, and just so you know the kind of friendship we have, we have this rule in our friendship that we can ask each other anything and we have to give a straight answer. And the reason we do that is because we know, we know, we know that so often things go wrong in relationships and marriages and all that stuff because things just stayed below the surface. And so we ask each other questions. We keep each other accountable on a lot of things that nobody really talks about. And, uh, and so one of the areas that, uh, you know, I would sometimes call him out on is he kind of has this, this thing with the ladies. He's a happily married guy, but ladies are just kind of drawn to him. You know, he's that guy who just walk into a room and people are chatting with him and he could pretty much go on a date with anyone. That's what it is. And so that's kind of his gravitational pull. And that's the area that when I'm asking questions, I, you know, I'm pointing out different things. I'm like, hey man, I know you probably didn't, you know, mean anything by this, but did you notice in this situation? I'm like, it just, the optics weren't good. Or I don't know if your wife would have appreciated that. So we, that's the kind of relationship we have. That's the kind of things we talk about. And so as he was kind of doing his thing, and, and, and he's incredibly cheap too, okay, but we won't talk about that part of his, his background, okay? We actually compete on who's cheaper. Uh, but as he was going through, he said, Mark, I, I just discovered something that I've never noticed before in my life. I said, what's that? He said, I just looked at my father, my grandfather, great-grandfather, all the uncles. I can't find a man in my family who hasn't cheated on his wife and had a kid with someone he wasn't married to. There's his pause, and he said, that explains so much about my life. It explains so much about the environments that I was raised in, the mentalities that people had that were slowly passed on to me, things that have been going on below the surface that I've never even thought of, never even realized maybe have been affecting me but I've been under the influence of these things. And I don't know about you, I don't know your life, and I don't assume to know everything about you, but in my interactions with lots of people, you know, as, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, you know, you interact with a lot of people, and I've just discovered that there's a lot of times that there are things going on in people's lives that they don't seem to quite understand why they do. That there's behaviors that you have, there's actions that you do, there's attitudes that you have towards certain people, and you're just kind of like, I, I don't know why, like, don't you have that, honey? You don't feel that way when so-and-so did that? Or you're put in situations with lots of other people and they're all happy and you're sad or they're all sad and you're happy. It's like, why is it that I'm responding so differently? Or everyone seems to be handling this really well, but I'm incredibly stressed right now or I got a ton of anxiety or I'm really depressed or I'm really worried or I'm really holding on to this and I can't seem to let it go even though everyone's already let go of it. That there are things that you do if you're honest probably. Things that you don't want to do, things that you feel that you don't want to feel that you just don't understand. Where does this come from? And why do I keep doing this? And why can't I stop this? And people keep pointing it out. My boss has pointed it out. My parents are pointing it out. My spouse has been pointing it out. Everyone's been pointing this out to me. And in fact, there are things that you do that maybe nobody's pointed out because they don't even know, and yet you know. And yet you can't stop. It's like there's these things that are driving you at the core of your being that you've never really figured out the solution to. And social scientists, they call this the iceberg principle. And I don't know if you've ever seen an iceberg before. I haven't in real life because I, you know, vacationing near cold things just doesn't seem very smart to me. But if you've ever looked at an iceberg and you understand how it works, this is really what it looks like. About 90% of the iceberg is under the water and 10% of it is visible to the eye. But the 90% of it is what shapes and directs the entire trajectory of what happens to the top 10%. 
And social scientists have known forever that there are the things that we do, the behaviors, the actions, the emotions that spill out, the words that we say, and that would be the literal tip of the iceberg of what's going on inside of us because there's then there's the 90% of the things that we've encountered, the people we've interacted with, the religion we grew up with, the culture we grew up in, all these things that have shaped who we are, and yet everyone only experiences the top 10%. And that's why you've said to yourself, where does this come from? And why did they respond that way? It's because there's so much going on than what initially meets the eye. And whether you're a church person or not, whether you're a Christian or not, the thing that I think that we could all agree on is that if we had the ability to get below the surface and to just shout into the darkness and say, stop, stop responding this way, stop acting this way, stop treating your kids this way, stop feeling this way, whatever, if we could just have that for a day and stop a bunch of things, we would. Now, the question that comes to mind is, but why are we talking about this? Because we've been trying to change this for years, and it's not making a difference. And maybe you're thinking, and why are we talking about this in church? Because if you know the statistics and I know the statistics, it's like there's, the reality is, is whether you like it or not, it's not looking any, any better for the church people. In fact, we have just as many problems as people who aren't churched. I mean, we have relational issues, we have divorce issues, we have substance abuse issues, we have pornography addictions, we have all these things that are going on that it just seems like there's so much below the surface that we can't control, and going to church on Sunday mornings doesn't seem to transform that in our North American culture. So the question comes up, what in the world is the point of showing up every Sunday? As one author said, he said, maybe your Sunday mornings are better spent at Starbucks with the New York Times because there's something about going to church that doesn't seem to transform the core of who we really are. But the reason why we're talking about this at church is because so often in our culture and so often in church world, all we ever do is deal with the surface. I mean, you grew up in a home where they said, stop getting angry. Just stop being anxious. Just smile and you'll feel better. Just get out of bed. I know you don't feel that way, but just come on. Or stop responding that way. Stop yelling that way. Don't treat your father that way. It was always about do, 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 don't, don't, don't. And then you came to church and it was the same thing. Do this, do this, do this, and don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It was behavior management. It was all dealing with the top 10%, and it never went to the core of all the things that you felt like you just needed to hide, and now you're much older, and you don't even know what's going on in there because you've been burying it for so long. But the fascinating thing is when you engage the scriptures, Jesus never deals with the top 10%. Jesus never deals with the top 10%. He's not interested in behavior management. Jesus always goes directly to the core. You read the scriptures, you'll find it. There's this time he's engaging with religious leaders, and they're kind of asking these questions like, okay, so you know, can we do this with women, and what about this? And he just looks at them, and he doesn't talk about the actions. He just goes right to the core. He says, your problem is you treat women like a commodity, and every time you see another woman, you think she's a piece of meat for your taking. He goes right to the core. There's this time he runs into this woman, and she's talking about water and you know, water to drink and all this stuff, and he's like, no, 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 your problem is you're not looking for water. You are looking for meaning and significance, and you're looking for relationship and love at the core of your being, and you've been trying to find it for so long. You've married five different men, and you're not finding it because you're not going to find it there. Jesus never deals with the surface. He always goes right to the core of the issue, and that's what this entire series is about, is going under the surface to find out what are we under the influence of and transforming that. In fact, there's a passage of Scripture which is kind of going to be our vision prayer for this series. I want to read it for you quickly. If you have a device and you can flip to it, I'd love for you to do that because it's worth highlighting. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 
Just want to pull it up. Let me read it with you. May God himself, the God of peace, and then there's this big word, sanctify. Okay, I'll just explain it because it's a big one. Uh, this is the same, same Greek word that we get the word saint from. It means to be made holy, to be transformed. Okay, so may the God himself, the God of peace, transform you, make you better. And then I want you to read the underlined stuff with me. Okay, may he sanctify you through and through. Okay, we're going to do this together. Uh, underline. Through and through. Not the top 10%. He says through and through. And he keeps going. May your whole spirit, soul, and body everything every part of you this is what the scriptures are uh, this is what the scriptures are all about full human transformation not behavior management not don't talk to your mom that way it's getting to the core of our humanity and dealing with it and transforming it from the inside out okay so let me just read it one more time whoa is this did i kill the mic no we're good all right. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and I love this promise, and he will do it. Let me pray for us as we begin this eight-part series. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not interested in just trying to change the outside, but you so care about what is going on inside. And you actually say that you will do it. So, Lord, we just want to submit ourselves to you and be totally present in this place for the next eight weeks. Come ready to hear from you, and that we just ask that you would push aside all the distractions, all the different things going on that would get in the way of us engaging from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the question you're probably wondering is, okay, but how does God transform us? Because you maybe grew up in a church culture where it was all about rules, do this, do this, do this, and don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And you maybe never heard this before, and you never realize this, but if you would read the entire scriptures cover to cover and take them in context, not a verse here and out of context and a verse there, you will actually find that not only do the scriptures not promote the idea of, you know, you just need to follow rules, and that's what it means to follow Jesus. Some of you, that's your only idea what the Christian faith is about. But you will actually find that the scriptures actually say that rules don't change us, that rules do not change us at all. They just show us how messed up we are, and they make us better liars trying to cover up the fact that we didn't follow them. But rules on their own do not have the power to transform us. And that's why in the scriptures you will find that the way that God transforms us, the way that he sanctifies us, is with his Holy Spirit. That it says that when we become followers of Jesus, when we invite him to become Lord of our life, because he will not just come without an invitation, that his spirit comes upon us and begins transforming our entire being. Not just the top 10%, but every part of us. And so this eight-week journey is all about going below the iceberg and allowing God's Spirit to permeate our entire being. So part one today, I just want to do a quick case study of a passage of Scripture that I love and I think highlights these principles so powerfully, okay? Now before I get into this, because I, I did this message last week at Connection, and so I either realize when something gets misunderstood, either I preach bad or you listen bad. I assume they just listen bad, okay? So, but, but just in case, you know, I, I, I stumble and you don't catch this, let me be very clear, okay? Because so many people in history have pointed this story to, you know, to pit this idea of serving and being. And so all the doers are like, they resonate with Martha, and they're like, come on, Jesus. And all the people who are relational are with Mary, and they're like, no, come on, Jesus. They, Jesus had it right. And so you're constantly arguing, you're, this is going to cause tension in your marriage. It's like, well, Mary, and what about Martha? And I'm a Mary, and you're a Martha. Okay. This is not about figuring out if it's better to serve or to be present. 
It's not about that at all. It seems that way, but this passage is not like that, so do not use this story. Okay? I'm, I know I'm going to get texts because I've been getting texts all week. It's like, well, what if my mom says I have to do the cooking? Or what if you know, they're forcing me to? Or what? It's not what this story is about, so don't look to this passage to figure that out. In fact, this story highlights both those things as godly gifts, and you should do them both. Okay? So with that said, let's get into the story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Okay? Now, just to understand how crazy this is, is that in that culture, you never, as a woman, sat at a teacher's feet. You never engaged with a teacher at all because some people in that culture even believed that women were not physically capable of learning. They actually believed that. Thankfully, we know a little bit better now. But they believed, you know, women do not learn, they cannot learn, you don't teach them. In fact, they've found historical records outside of the scriptures that actually say it's better to just burn the books than to try and teach a woman how to teach a woman anything. That was the culture of that day, okay? And yet Jesus seems to be okay with someone sitting at his feet and learning. But Mary is doing this, and it's incredibly radical in that culture, okay? Martha is busy working, okay? And Martha's the older one in the family. She kind of follows into the, you know, she follows all the rules, does everything the culture expects of her. Mary, she's the younger sibling. She colors outside the lines. All the younger siblings are like, that's how it should be. Okay, so she had a little sister in Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Okay, so she's there. You know, there's this meeting going on inside. She invited Jesus in. Jesus is teaching. Her sister's there, not helping. And so she's really busy. And she's like, I'm, I'm guessing there's a little bit of tension in the room because we see the tension kind of explode in a moment. I'm just kind of imagining, you know, she's in the kitchen just, you know, chopping stuff and just... <clears throat> just a little bit louder and, you know, just kind of like banging some cupboard doors and just, you know, walking through the room that they're in, pretending to be grabbing some china or something. I don't know, right? It just I just kind of imagine there was this tension building where she was just trying to get a message like, Mary, Mary. And so finally, it just kind of built up to the point where she couldn't do anything else. And so th- this is what we read next. She came to him and asked, okay, and I don't think it was like this. I don't think she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's not helping me? Do you think you could tell her to help me, please? I don't think it was like that. I think it was like, Lord, don't you care that my sister's not helping me? Tell her to help me. Can you just imagine what it must have been like to be Jesus? I mean, some of you have been at people's house when this happens. You know, you're having a nice meal, and then all of a sudden this family drama that you had nothing to do with and you knew nothing about just blows up. And it's like, your mama is like, whoa, it's like, I've been telling you this for years. It's like, whoa, and then they turn to you and like, tell them I'm right. And it's like, who needs more wine, right? Like you just, you just try to change the subject and it just got really uncomfortable, got really awkward. And thankfully Jesus is Jesus and he doesn't seem to panic at all, but it got really, really bad. Now let me just pause here for a second and say this. I don't think Martha was doing anything wrong. I think she was trying to be a good guest. She was being hospitable. I mean, these are all things that the scriptures speak very, very highly of. But she wanted to serve Jesus. She wanted to love on Jesus. And somehow she ended up verbally assaulting and bossing him around. Isn't this kind of reflective of some of the things in our life? Where we go into something with an intention to do good, to care, to love, and yet somehow we do something. Something comes out from within us and we do this habit that we've been doing for years and we just can't stop and we think to ourselves on the way home, why did I say that again? And why did I just keep my mouth shut? And why couldn't I just be more patient? Or why could We've all had this moment happen, haven't we? If I was there, I just wish I could, you know, Martha, Martha, 
can we just press pause for a second? Can I talk to you in the kitchen? Just, just, just a couple minutes. You know, I just can't imagine we step into the kitchen. Martha, ha- have a seat. Like, I'd rather stand. Like, okay, cool, Martha. I'm a, you know, like whatever, right? I, I just can't imagine. Take a moment to have a conversation there because she's probably, like, you know, someone had to tell her. You know, I just like, hey, hey, Martha, Martha, Martha. Do you realize that you just yelled at Jesus? You know, and just like, yeah, like, do you real like? Luke's probably going to put this in his final version of the Bible. They're going to be laughing at you in upper room. Like, this is going to hang around for a long time. I hear it might be the world's bestseller, and you're going to be a main character. People are going to remember this moment. What's going on? I just kind of imagine her being like, I just cannot believe what my sister did. I mean, doesn't she know that women aren't supposed to sit at the teacher's feet? Hasn't she learned that? I mean, our parents taught her that. Our culture taught her that. Everyone knows that women don't sit at the feet of Jesus. I mean, we've known that forever. What does she think she's doing? She should be helping me. And not only that, of all the times to not help me, it's the time when the miracle guy, Jesus, shows up. I mean, people are definitely going to be talking about this event, and they're going to talk about the fact that my house wasn't ready, the food wasn't ready, things were still dirty, and I was, you know, trying to serve food, but, it, you know, it just, I overcooked the steak, and it was just, like, it was just, like people are going to talk about this, and it's going to be awkward, it's going to be embarrassing, and it's going to go on for years. And I was like, Okay, and you know, I just imagine, like, we just keep hearing these logical things that were going on in her heart. And then I just kind of imagine she'd say, you know what? I grew up in a home where you don't sit down until your guests are sitting down and joining a meal. And so Mary did it backwards, and that's why I'm so angry. Because when you're a host, you care for the people who are in your presence. You get the food. Like, it's just what you do. It's what our parents taught us. They'd be rolling around in their grave right now if they knew what Mary was doing. And I just kind of imagine you'd have this conversation where it wasn't evil intent. It was actually very good intent. It was grounded in logical reason. And that was the reason that she was doing all the things that she was doing. No doubt. No question in my mind that was her intent. And I just kind of imagine having the same conversation with Mary. You know, just come in like, excuse me, Jesus, like, Mary, can I talk to you for a minute? No, no, I know. He'll be here when you get back. I know. Can we, can we just, you know, chat? Just, hey, Mary. She'd happily sit down. She seems pretty chill. She started chatting, and she's like, hey, Mary, you do know that women don't sit at the feet of teachers in this culture, right? Like, your parents taught you that. I mean, you're the same parents as Martha, right? Like, oh, yeah. You do know that nobody approves of that. In fact, some people are even questioning if it's a waste of your time because they don't actually think women can learn. You, you do know that, right, Mary? Well, yeah, she's like, so... So what possessed you to think that you could sit at the feet of Jesus? I just think she'd say, well, I'm, I'm well aware of what our culture says. I'm well aware of how my parents raised me, and I love them and respect them so much. But this Jesus guy, I mean, he is very different. I mean, he seems to engage with the people that everybody told me growing up you shouldn't engage with. He goes to parts of town that we've put people who have diseases that we should never come close to and can only come out at night. And he doesn't just show up and yell from a distance, God loves you. He goes right into those places with all those diseases, and he puts his arms right on those people, and he just says, I love you. And kids, kids who are supposed to be seen and not heard, Jesus goes right up to them. And in fact, adults are waiting in line and he prioritizes kids and he hangs out with them. And just last week, I heard that Jesus was actually chatting with this woman, and not just any woman, a woman from a part of town in a race that we don't even like and we don't even engage with. And he engaged with her. He was so kind to her. And in fact, she was so blown away by how well he treated her that she came and told everybody. And I just happened to hear. So yeah, I'm well aware of everything my culture says, but I'm also aware that the person whose presence I was in is very different. I just can't imagine you just kind of, you know, keep bringing up the Martha arguments. Okay, but 
I mean, can you imagine what would happen and people talking about the fact that Jesus was in your home and you weren't serving him? And I just imagine she'd say, listen, people can talk and normally I care what they say, but today I just kind of care more about what Jesus has to say. And I'm not too interested. And yeah, they're going to talk, but, but who cares? It's Jesus. And I just kind of imagine, okay, wait, wait, wait. But what about what your parents taught you? I mean, you're not supposed to sit down until your guests are enjoying their meal. Like, you know that, right? It's like, oh, of course. I'm usually neck and neck with Martha in the kitchen, cooking, serving. I rarely eat until everyone's even gone home. Like, I get that world. It's like, so what made you think that you could sit front row at Jesus' feet while your sister was trying to prepare the meal? And I just kind of imagine her saying, because there's like less than 20 of us in the room. And last week, just last week, Jesus fed like 5,000 people with the equivalent of a tuna sandwich. I don't think food is his issue. In fact, See that bucket of water over there? That's just in case he wants wine. I put it there, right? Like, I just kind of imagine she's like, really, food is not the issue. Ah, he can figure that out. He's got this covered. I'm not worried about it. Of course I understand what my parents said. Of course I understand what my culture said. But he's different. And the story continues. Jesus comes to Martha. Comes to Martha and says, Martha, Martha. You ever had someone say your name twice? Your parents say your name twice? You're in trouble. Not in this culture. This culture, I was reading up on it, and they say when you say someone's name twice, it's grandfatherly. It's just this love. Put your arm around them. Draw them in and say, Martha. Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Goes right to the core. Jesus doesn't respond and say, how dare you raise your voice? Do you know who I am? Could this not wait? What's wrong with you? Would you just calm down? He just goes to the core and he says, Martha, you're anxious and you're stressed about a lot of stuff. There's a lot going on inside of there. And Martha would just be like, yeah. He says, but few things are needed indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. You see, both women wanted to know and to serve Jesus. They did. There's no question in my mind. They both had good intentions. But while Martha was under the influence of everything below the surface that she was unaware of, her culture, her family, all their friends' thoughts on what they'd think about it, Mary had all the exact same things influencing her, but she allowed what she experienced with Jesus to transform and speak into those things, and it changed the top 10%. Both were under the influence. Both had the ability to serve and sit at the feet of Jesus. And in fact, we discovered that Mary at other times totally served Jesus. But because Mary was willing to pause and allow her interactions to permeate the core of her being, to actually sit there and, and kind of wrestle with it, it's like, this is what I grew up with, but this is what Jesus is. And just kept, because she allowed that to happen, she got the experience of a lifetime sitting at the feet of Jesus while Martha ran around making a meal that really nobody was asking for. It's not about whether serving is better or being relaxed is better. It's simply that in this situation, one person stayed under the influence of everything that was below the surface and didn't even pause to think about it. And the other person slowed down enough to, to process it all and allow their in encounters with Jesus to influence the bottom 90% and therefore the top 10%. Here's the principle that we learn from this passage. Jesus can only influence us as deeply as we allow him in. 
Jesus can only influence us as deeply as we allow him in. Both had the exact same experience of Jesus. Both had the exact same raising up in, in childhood. Both had the same encounters, knew the same things about him. One person allowed that truth to permeate the core of their being. The other person was way too busy and never allowed time for processing. That's good news and bad news. It's good news because it means if we will slow down, and we will allow the Holy Spirit to transform, speak to and transform the deepest parts of our soul, parts that maybe we've never slowed down long enough to figure out what's going on down there. Our entire lives can be changed. But the bad news is if we continue to move at the pace of Martha, we will never, ever allow the Spirit of God to speak to the depths of us. It means no amount of times that you read your Bible or sit in church and listen to someone preach and go, uh-huh, and amen, and oh yeah, that's for me, will mean any sort of transformation unless we pause and allow the Holy Spirit to actually sink into the depths of who we are and to begin to transform from the inside out. The bottom line, like Mary, is that we need to make room in our lives for the Holy Spirit to transform us, not just the top, not just behavior management, but through and through, spirit, soul, and body, all of us. Because 35 minutes on a Sunday isn't enough. That's why Upper Room is so incredibly smart. I love what their leaders have done with this idea of home groups. We've adopted it at Connection. It's called community groups. It's the same thing. It's this idea that whatever we talk about once a week on Sundays, we're talking about throughout the week for a couple hours, over a meal or with some snacks, with some friends from, and community from our church. That there is such value in not just coming in, hearing a good message, and then going home and forgetting all about it, but there is so much value in sitting in community and wrestling, and that's what these next eight weeks are. They're going to be wrestling, and they're going to be uncomfortable, and they're going to be going below the surface, but it is only when we allow the Spirit into the depths of who we are that we allow Him to begin to transform who we are. So why do this? We're going to put a slide in a moment up on the screen because there's, a, there's this thing in Scripture called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, so many people say, oh, you know, I, I feel like God is moving in me, and then they describe all these actions that they do, and, you know, they start speaking thee and thou and all this stuff. But the Scriptures simply say that when the Holy Spirit is active in you, there's a fruit that is visible. And it just describes this fruit this way. I want to read it for you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Eugene Peterson actually is an author, and he took some time, and he just reflected on these words, looked up their, their meaning, and he just kind of gave a short sentence description of each of these words, which are earlier in my slides, if you can put them up on the screen. And I just want to leave you for 30 seconds to just look at those and to reflect on how beautiful they are and how beautiful that promise be. Let's just read them together quietly. I don't know about you, 
but I would love to see that in my life. And even if you think to yourself, I don't want to do the hard work of going below the surface. I don't want to have to dig into that dark pit that I don't want to see what's going to come out. Here's the reality. Whether you love God or not, whether you even believe God or not, if you're you know, on this journey, we're so glad you're here. The reality is, I promise you, every person in this room, spiritual or not, looks at that list and says, that's what I want from my friends. It's what I want from my family. It's what I want from my boss, from my spouse. It's the thing I look for when I'm dating. It's the kind of people that I hang around long enough. That's the thing we desire. And that's the thing that God promises to do. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you look good on the surface. I'm going to get you to stop acting this way in public and make sure it only blows up at home with your family and friends. He says, this is the transforming power of my Holy Spirit, and I promise I will do it if you will let me. That is why we are doing this eight-part series. That is why we are going below the surface to transform the core of our being and to change our allegiance, to change what we are really under the influence of. May I pray for you? Father, we don't want to be a church full of people that look good. There's way too many of those to go around. Lord, we want to be people who are transformed by your Holy Spirit. We want to be people who others are drawn to that they may know the hope of Jesus Christ too. And so, Lord, I'm saying this and I'm praying on behalf of everybody in this room that while we may be scared to look below the surface, we could not think of a better guide to go with us than your Holy Spirit. So we invite your Holy Spirit into our lives to begin poking and prodding and shining light into the darkness because we want to be transformed through and through and made more in your image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And before you sit down, and Tony's going to share some, uh, some news of our community uh, in just a moment, but today I want to kind of marry application and benediction together. Application is, so what do I do now? You know, you're the Martha mentality, okay, there's got to be some sort of practical application. And benediction is an old word, but it simply means to speak wor good words or to speak blessing over. And I today have the opportunity and I'm excited. So the application is simple. I would love for you to join myself and, and everyone in this room and everyone, you know, a couple kilometers south of here and our two churches who are going to be going on this journey and slowly starting to carve out time in your day, if you don't do this already, for undistracted um, time with God. And uh, one of the really cool things is there's this book that as a church, where both churches are going through, it's called Day by Day. And it's basically a 40-day journey. Uh, through the things that we're going to be talking about. And every day there's, there's two times where you can just pause. It doesn't take long. And there's, you know, prayers already written for you. There's passages already picked for you. If you've never read the Bible before, this is a great way to just start engaging with God. And for those of you, I mean, I've been talking to people who are, are literally, have been Christians 40, 50 years, and they came to me and they're like, Mark, this is killer, okay? And it's good for the Marys in the room. It's good for the Marthas in the room. I'm a Martha. I shoot and then, you know, aim. Like, that's me, and I love how much this slows me down and forces me to engage with God. So uh, Tony's going to tell us more about how to get that, but this is our, our, our number one step in allowing God to speak to us is slowing down and engaging in this way. And here's my benediction for you. As you slow down and as you try and spend time with God, as you try and take the Mary posture, the thing you'll discover every time you read a story about Mary at the feet of Jesus slowing down and engaging is somebody's angry about it. Somebody's upset and somebody's complaining. 
And I promise you, if you try and do this, someone in your family, somebody at work, somebody at school is going to complain that you're not being effective, you're not being efficient, whatever it is. And my blessing for you is that you would keep going, that you, like Mary, would not be scared to pause and engage with God because you know the power of the Holy Spirit and the potential for transformation that hangs in the balance.